At the Capitoline Hill, he climbed the long stairway up to the piazza designed by Michelangelo. A friend named Carlo Pietrangeli, the director of the Capitoline Gallery, was waiting for him. They greeted each other in the English way, with handshakes. Sir Dennis does not like being embraced, and throughout his many sojourns in Italy, he has largely managed to avoid the customary greeting of a clasp and a kiss on both cheeks. Pietrangeli told Sir Dennis that he had finally managed to locate the object of his search in, of all places, the office of the mayor of Rome. Before that, the painting had hung for many years in the office of the Inspector General of Belle Arti, in a medieval building on the Via del Portico de Ottavia, in the ghetto district of the city. The Inspector General had regarded the painting merely as a decorative piece with a nice frame of no particular value. The original, after all, was at the Doria Pamphili. After the war, Pietrangeli did not know the precise details. Someone had moved it to the Palazzo Senatorio and finally to the mayor's office. Pietrangeli and Sir Dennis crossed the piazza to the Palazzo Senatorio. The mayor's office lay at the end of a series of dark hallways and antechambers, a spacious room with a high ceiling and a small balcony that looked out over the ancient ruins of the Imperial Forum. There was no one in the office. Sir Dennis spotted the painting hanging high on a wall. He remembers standing beneath it, his head canted back, gazing intently up and comparing it in his mind with the one he had seen at Longhi's exhibition, the Doria Pamphili version. From his vantage point, several feet below the painting, it appeared almost identical in size and composition. It depicted a naked boy, perhaps twelve years old, partly reclined, his body in profile, but his face turned to the viewer, a coy smile crossing his mouth. Most art historians thought Caravaggio had stolen the pose from Michelangelo, from a nude in the Sistine Chapel, and had made a ribald, irreverent parody of it. From where he stood, Sir Dennis could not make out the finer details. The surface of the canvas was dark, the image of the boy obscured by layers of dust and grime and yellowed varnish, but he could tell that the quality was superb. Then again, so was the quality of the Doria Pamphili painting. He turned to Pietrangeli and exclaimed, for goodness sake, Carlo, we must get a closer look. We must get a ladder. Waiting for the ladder to arrive, he paced impatiently in front of the painting, never taking his eyes off it. He thought he could discern some subtle differences between it and the Doria version. Here the boy's gaze caught the viewer directly, mockingly, whereas the eyes of the Doria boy seemed slightly averted, the smile distinctly less open. When a workman finally arrived with a ladder, Sir Dennis clambered up, and studied the canvas with his magnifying glass. The paint surface had the characteristic craquelure, the web of fine capillary-like cracks produced by the drying of the oil that contained the paint pigments. He saw some abrasion in the paint surface, particularly along the borders where the canvas and the wooden stretcher behind it came into contact. In some areas, the ground, or preparatory layer, had become visible. He noted that the ground was dark reddish-brown in color and roughly textured, as if sand had been mixed into it. This was precisely the type of ground that Caravaggio had often used. He studied the face of the boy again, the eyes and mouth, areas difficult even for a great painter. This face, he concluded, was much livelier than the Doria version. Indeed, the entire work felt fresher and lighter in both color and execution. He detected the spark of invention and creativity in this painting, something a copyist could never achieve. By the time he climbed down the ladder, he felt convinced that Caravaggio's hand had created this painting. 
As for the Doria version, it was possible, as some maintained, that Caravaggio himself had copied his own work, perhaps at the insistence of a wealthy patron. But Sir Dennis was skeptical. He doubted that Caravaggio had ever known about the Doria painting. At Da Fortunato, Sir Dennis pauses after telling the story, and then he smiles. Longhi died years ago, and he'd never accepted the Capitoline version as the original. Longhi was not one to admit a mistake, says Sir Dennis. That was the beginning, Sir Dennis chuckles, of many disagreements and a long, contentious, and very satisfying feud. The Englishman has had a hand in the search for several other lost paintings by Caravaggio. He mentions one in particular. It was called The Taking of Christ, that had been the object of both his and Longhi's desire. It had vanished without a trace more than two centuries ago. Like the St. John, many copies had turned up, all suggesting a masterpiece, but none worthy of attribution to Caravaggio. Longhi, near the end of his life, had come up with an important clue in the mystery of the painting's disappearance. It had been a clever deduction on Longhi's part, Sir Dennis tells his guests, but, poor fellow, he hadn't lived to solve the mystery. The past held many secrets and gave them up grudgingly. Sir Dennis believed that a painting was like a window back into time, that with meticulous study he could peer into a work by Caravaggio and observe that moment, four hundred years ago, when the artist was in his studio, studying the model before him, mixing colors on his palette, putting brush to canvas. Sir Dennis believed that by studying the work of an artist he could penetrate the depths of that man's mind. In the case of Caravaggio, it was the mind of a genius, a murderer and a madman, perhaps, but certainly a genius. And no copy, however good, could possibly reveal those depths. That would be like glimpsing a man's shadow and thinking you could know the man. <laughs>